I landed in South Africa September 9th, 1992. September 10th, 1992, Chester from the Tucson Baptist Center, where I was stationed as a missionary, took me on a drive through Soweto. Soweto stands for Southwestern Townships. It's a collection of 23 townships in the southwestern part of Johannesburg. You see, South Africa had institutionalized racism that white folks could live wherever they wanted, but black folks had to live in townships or homelands. And you had to have literally a thing that looked like a passport that they called a passbook in order to have free passage out of the place that you lived. The Soweto townships had about a million black people living there. No white people were allowed to live there legally, no Indian people, no colored people, which is a different race in South Africa, only black people. And because it was the murder capital of the world, my friend Chester, who was a former taxi driver and a former gang member who had been converted to Christ, said, the first thing we need to do is take you and drive you around Soweto to help you see, not only on the map, but with your eyes, and we need to show you where all the police stations are. I said, why do you need to show me where all the police stations are, Chester? He says, Maruti, which means pastor. He says, Maruti, it's a very dangerous place. You don't understand. You could get killed there because of the color of your skin. He said, you might open your mouth and it might save you if they find out you're American, but you could get killed. You need to know where the police stations are. So if somebody's following you, you can either drive your car or you can run and you can try to get to safety. I went, okay, this is a little more serious than I read about. About a week after that, I'm in the Deep Cluth Township, one of the older townships in Soweto, and uh, we had gone there for food distribution to give away food to the people living in squatter shacks. Squatter camp, this squatter camp had 300 different shacks in it. These are uh, 10 by 10, 10 shacks with a dirt floor, no running water, no electricity, very poor conditions. And we're giving away food to these folks. While we're setting up to give away food, some young men are playing soccer. Chester, my friend, looks at me and says, you go play soccer. I think, frankly, he wanted to size me up as a soccer player because he had a soccer team that he uh, coached. And, well, he found out pretty quickly I wasn't a very good soccer player, uh, both because I never played soccer much before and to the altitude in Johannesburg, over 5,000 feet higher than Denver, I was getting run circles around. The ball gets kicked off the field. The field, by the way, was more um, trash than grass on this clay field. And I run after it. And just as I run after it, between a couple squatter uh, shacks, here are three guys coming at me, not looking too happy. One of them, a bigger fella in the middle that looks like he's kind of in charge, with two guys behind him, both carrying AK-47s. And I thought, this might be a real quick missionary trip. I'm supposed to be here for two years, but I might be going to meet Jesus today. And the dude in the front looks at me and he says in his strong, accented English voice, he says, you're an undercover police officer. And I said, what? I literally laughed at him, even though they had AK-47s. I said, what? He said, you're an undercover police officer. What are you doing here spying on us? I said, dude, you know, I say dude. I said, dude, if I was an undercover police officer, would I have this face? I'm surrounded by a million black people, and I'm a white man. And I said, and besides that, I'm from America. I'm not a white South African. He says, you're from America? I said, yeah. He says, where are you from? I said, Texas. He says, oh, Dallas. He says, do you know JR? I'm going, oh, my word. 
A minute ago you wanted to kill me, now you want to know if I know J.R. Ewing. I mean, reruns in South Africa. J.R. was still a big thing in 1992. The next week he came back and wanted to get his picture made with me. Serious. But it wasn't until that moment that I realized how being other and being different was such a big thing. I knew that racism was real in South Africa. I knew that they were mainly black and I knew that I was white. But I had not considered the fact that just the color of my skin could get me killed. You see, until you're the minority or until you see a minority mistreated, you may not realize how deep the divide is with some folks when it comes to racism. Our sermon today is about barriers. And the barriers we see in our sermon today are really three. One is that there's racial prejudice that Peter has to confront. Two, hand in glove with that, is religious discrimination that is in Peter as well. And the third one is faith. Are we going to do what God calls us regardless of the first two? The prejudice or the religion? The discrimination or what we've been born with and trained in? And so what we see Peter confronting here is a pretty miraculous story, even though there is not a miracle as far as a healing that takes place or raising somebody from the dead, as in last week's sermon, of what God does. Remember, Peter had responded to those challenges of sickness and death. Peter was now going to have a new type of challenge to respond to. Back in the Gospels, it said that Jesus said to Peter, I give you the keys to the kingdom. Literally, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed on earth. Whatever you loose on heaven will be loosed in heaven. You're in charge, Peter. And we'd already seen Peter use these keys in a few different ways. He'd open the gospel from the, to the Jews at Pentecost. He'd open a way for the Samaritans to come to faith in Christ soon thereafter. And now, with those same keys to the kingdom, he's going to open the kingdom of God to the Gentiles, everyone who's not Jew or Samaritan. We learn from Acts chapter 15, verse 7, that Cornelius was the first Gentile um, conversion to Christianity. And this, coming from a Jewish man, Peter, is a big deal. It's really difficult for us to understand that gap between Jews and Gentiles. I guess the best way I can ask you to do it is in your own mind to consider who it is that you think is farthest other from you. Maybe they're not their race, but their religion, maybe their political viewpoint, maybe their motivations, maybe they're from somewhere around the world, and you think that person is so distant from me, I could never understand them. And when it comes to conversion in Christ, I wouldn't give them a snowball's chance, or maybe when pigs can fly, or whatever other analogy you want to use, that that person or that group, it is unimaginable or unbelievable that they could come to faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Yet, we serve a God who can do the miraculous, amen? He can do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all we ask or imagine. And so, let's take up our scripture memory verse for the month before we get into our key text today. This scripture memory verse comes from the next chapter, next Sunday's sermon, where Peter is reporting to the Jerusalem council, the elders of the church in Jerusalem, what has just happened that we're going to look at in today's sermon. So we're foreshadowing a bit by this, but that's okay. Let's read it together. Acts eleven seventeen. 17. 
So if God gave them the same gift He gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Acts eleven seventeen. Who was I to think I could stand in God's way? Those we're divided from, those we have a barrier between, those we see as other, those we believe are outside God's plan. Well, our text today, we have five observations and five questions. Five observations and five questions from our text today. And we're not going to ask you to stand as we read. We're going to go through the verses as we go through our sermon and get to each point. So if you haven't already turned to Acts chapter 10, verse 1, I'd invite you to do so. It's on the big screen for you here as well. Verse 1 says, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion. Centurion sent, you know, like sent a meter means a hundred. And so centimeters, centurion, he was in charge of a hundred soldiers, a centurion who was in the Italian regiment. He and his family were devout and God-fearing. Now, they are Gentiles, yet they were devout and God-fearing of uh, the God we know, that the God the Jews worship, but they did not have any understanding of Jesus yet. They were devout and God-fearing. And not only were they devout and God-fearing, look at what it says about him. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. So Cornelius is not just any Roman soldier, not just any centurion. He is one that has a sensitivity to the God of the Bible that we know, and he is actually acting on what he understands from the Bible as he knew it, what we call the Old Testament. And he's giving to those in need and praying regularly as the Jewish follower or the followers of Judaism would have told him. And then it says in verse 3, on one day about three in the afternoon, that's significant as well. We might think, what's the big deal of praying at 3 in the afternoon? 3 in the afternoon was the customary praying to prayer time for devout Jews. So not only is he fearing God, not only is he giving to people, not only is he meeting the needs of others and praying regularly, he's doing it when he's supposed to. But in prayer, what does it say there? The end of verse 3, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, I don't know about you if you've ever heard a voice in prayer. I have. I didn't think it was mysterious. I hope it doesn't freak you out sometime sooner or later. God may need to get your attention. He may speak to you just like I'm speaking to you, except you don't hear it out loud or anybody else hears it, but you know it's God by His Holy Spirit speaking to you. Cornelius, he says. Verse 4, Cornelius stared at him in fear. Well, it's an angel, right? It's not just a voice. It's an angel. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and the gifts to poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. So he gives him very specific instructions. He's in prayer at the time he should be in prayer. God sends an angel to speak to him. The angel gives him very specific instructions of what to do. Verse 6, he is staying with Simon the tanner whose house is by the sea. We talked about that last week. Tanners use salt water to help tan or cure their leather. So that would be not uncommon. But the angel gives a specific direction knowing that if Cornelius sent people there, they'd find a way. Verse 7, when the angel spoke to him, 
had gone, when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. So devout also being a follower of God, according to Judaism, he told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. The first observation that you have here is that God reveals himself to seekers. God reveals himself to seekers. In every culture, in every age, if someone seeks God, he's going to reveal himself to them. If you read literature about missionaries, particularly pioneer missionaries, you will find that so many times before the missionary shows up in a given village or to speak to a given people, that somebody in that village or somebody of that people have had a vision or had a dream that said a missionary or a white person or somebody carrying a book that talks about a God you don't know is going to come and show up. And this is the one true God, that God even today still reveals himself to seekers. There may be people that you know who they were far away from God, had never grown up in church, yet they got down to the bottom of life, and there at the bottom, they turned and said, I don't know who is the God or if there's a God, but God, if you are God, I believe in you. They didn't know the name of Jesus, but they knew that there had to be a God that was in charge of all that was and is. And God reveals himself to seekers. Later in the book of Acts, you have the story of uh, Paul at Mars Hill. And when he speaks to the people there at Athens, and they had this um, monument to an unknown God because there was a great plague years before, and any of the other thousands of gods they prayed to, the plague kept on, the plague kept on, and finally somebody said, there must be a God that's bigger than all these gods, because the gods we're praying to isn't big enough to stop the plague. Let's pray to the unknown God. Then the plague stopped. Paul shows up and says, I see your memorial to the unknown God. I'll tell you who the unknown God is and who his son Jesus is and how you can come to faith and, uh, through him. God reveals himself to seekers. So your question there is this. How can God use me? How is it that God can use me? You might think, I'm no Peter. I'm saved. I've got the Holy Spirit within me. I have some knowledge of Scripture. But I'm not this kind of faithful person. But I would say to you that if God's called you, He's equipped you. You have spiritual gifts. You have talents. You have abilities. And God gives you a mission. Your mission may not be to go to South Africa. Your mission may not be to go to Athens, Greece. But your mission may be live right here among the people you know, the folks you work with, the folks in your family, that God can use you on mission. So they're seekers. What we're going to see now in verses 9 through 23 As we go on, what is set up? What is to follow? Let's read verse 9 and following now. About noon, the following day, as they were approaching on their journey and approaching the city, Peter uh, went up to the roof to pray. It was normal to go to the roof to pray. It would be cooler up there depending on the time of the day, or you can be away from the hustle and bustle down in the house. And he uh, became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Now, this is something supernatural that happens. may not happen to you, may not happen ever again, but God did it here because God had a purpose. Verse 11, he saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to the earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Jewish people had certain animals that were clean And certain animals that were unclean. 
God gave them these distinctions to keep them from sickness. But it also became a religious distinction as well. So their Jewish people even today are not going to eat pork because it is from an unclean animal. Reptiles or other things, not going to mess with those. Unclean. But certain things they do eat. All types of animals, including things that Peter, as a Jewish person, even though he was a believer in Jesus, still was holding on to those Jewish customs and traditions, would see as clean and unclean were in this sheet. Verse 13, a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Wait a second. Verse 14, he says, surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. I'm a believer in Jesus, but I've got my Jewish roots, and I know that these things that are in this sheet, some of them anyhow, I'm not supposed to eat. I'm not going to do it, Peter says. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. That's in verse 15. Verse 16, it says, this happened three times. And immediately, the sheet was taken back up into heaven. There's something significant about three. God uses three for emphasis. I repeat things, you repeat things, two or three or four more times in order for people to notice them. But God needed to make sure Peter, in his religious discrimination against these sort of things, based on the way that he was brought up, knew that there was a change coming. Verse 17, while Peter was wondering about what the vision meant, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, uh, who was known by Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I've sent them. So God spoke to him in a trance and in a vision and showed him these things to help him see that you need to overcome this religious discrimination you have. But there's a greater message to come that's revealed from this vision of animals of all types, clean and unclean, in a sheet. Verse 21. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? Peter knew that something was up. He didn't know what was up. So he asked a question that all of us would ask. Why? Why have you come? The men replied, we've come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Bingo. Peter, God's got another mission for you, a new assignment in your mission, and he is a Gentile person, although he's a God-fearer. Verse 23, Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guest. Your second observation of Scripture here today is that God speaks to Christ followers. God speaks to Christ followers. So our first section of Scripture, you have Cornelius, who was a God-fearer but didn't know about Jesus. He was seeking God, and God revealed Himself to him. This second section of our sermon today, you have Peter, who is already a Christ follower. He's one of Jesus' disciples, now an apostle and a missionary, who's done a miraculous and amazing thing. 
the foundation of the church, holds the keys to the kingdom, and he's about to do something else amazing, and God has to speak to him to give him a very specific message, because even for Peter, who had done all these things and seen all these things, a big step was about to happen. If God speaks to Christ followers, it begs the question for you and I, when has God spoken to me? When has God spoken to me? Maybe in a vision, maybe in a dream, maybe with a voice, maybe from a friend who's a follower of Jesus, maybe from a pastor you know, maybe from one you don't know. You listen to him on the radio, you read his books, but God clearly has spoken to you. But most often, God will speak to you through his word. Why do we talk about Bible engagement as a foundational exercise of Christianity? Because God speaks through his word more than any other way. Another thing that we talk about that we need to do daily, uh, regularly, even throughout the days, but we even have set aside devoted times is prayer because God speaks in prayer to you most often in combination with His Word. By His Spirit, He speaks to you. And you have a sense of oughtness that you know what you ought to do and you know it's from the Holy Spirit. And if it sounds mysterious to you, wait until it happens and you'll go, just like Pastor Aaron said, I know that this is God by the Holy Spirit speaking to me. I know this isn't my own mind. This isn't my conscience. This isn't a dream. That this is real. That God speaks to Christ followers. So he reveals himself to seekers. He speaks to Christ followers. Let's move on in our passage of Scripture. Verse 23, the second half. It says, The next day Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. So there's three men that came to get Peter. Two of them were servants and one was another soldier. Now, he invited them to stay with him overnight. Now, Peter's got some other uh, brothers, so believers in Jesus from Joppa going with him. So we've got this party going back down the road. And, uh, you know, it's a good day's walk or so. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. He doesn't just show up to Cornelius' house like, hey, bro, anybody home? There's a crowd waiting. Cornelius, a God-fearing man, believed in the vision that God gave him, that God was going to uh, send him exactly who he told him. Simon called Peter. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. That would have been something for the Jewish person to overcome. But let's move on. Verse 27, talking with him. Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You're all well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. From the time Peter had a vision, he had that evening, he had all the next day that they were walking, and then they get there, so he's had a little time to think about it, and God, by His Holy Spirit, revealed to Peter exactly what He wanted him to know, that the vision wasn't just about animals and what you can eat and not eat, but about people, races, and who you can associate with or not associate with. Well, frankly, you should associate with everybody, because God made them all. So Peter introduces his sermon, if you will, with his personal observation, both positive and negative, of what God has said to him that led him to the obedience to come to this place. Verse 29, so when I was sent for, I came without objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Always a good question. 
the open-ended question to see where it's going to go. Verse 30, Cornelius answered, four days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, the angel, he's recounting it to him, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send a Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He's in the house, guest in the home of Simon the tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now, we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Wow. Your third point in your outline today is that God leads people to obedience. God leads people to obedience. You had Simon, the God-fearer, who was seeking God. You had Peter, the Christ follower, who God spoke to. But you have both of them that God has led to obedience. Simon had to be obedient to believe the vision. Peter had to be obedient to believe the men, to get to the point where they are now, where Simon Peter is there in the house of uh, the centurion in order to do what comes next. God loved Peter. God loved Cornelius. What about you? God does love you. And God does lead you to obedience as He speaks to you. Which leads us to our third question. How willingly do I follow God's direction? How willingly do I follow God's direction? Yesterday, our student ministry went on a bike ride. Um, which I don't know how many were there, 15 of us total, so a couple adults and a couple teenagers, and Miss Adeline was along too. She's a beast of a bike rider, Adeline Edelton. That girl can go. And we had a good time because, you know, we rode down the trails, we stopped at parks, we stopped at Chick-fil-A and had some refreshments. Um, I'm not sure I would recommend eating a whole bunch of Chick-fil-A in the middle of a hot, humid bike ride, but nobody hurled. It was okay. We made it back all right. But along the way, even though we were following the paved bike trails that we have in Lincoln, you know that they're like 10 feet wide and they have the yellow dash line. So my thing I said repeatedly to the kids was follow the yellow dash line, follow the yellow dash line. Because there's other sidewalks that come off that are smaller, but if you follow the yellow dash line, you're going to go the way we want to go on the trail, the major part of the trail. And there were times when I was like, oh, there is going to be a turn up here where there's two trails. So I would race up ahead so I could say, we need to turn right. Or if I didn't get there one time, I'm like, John Mark, turn right, turn right. And they're like, guys like locking up their brakes, you know, and then turning around and cursing at me. Pastor, you should have told us. I'm like, sorry, it's okay. We'll get there. I wasn't always in the front. I wasn't a very good leader. I was kind of wandering back and forth, visiting with people, stuff like that. When it comes to God's direction, though, how willingly do we follow? That's a different deal than riding the trails in Lincoln, Nebraska on your way to Chick-fil-A. It's real life. It's the God of the whole universe who has created you to be the only you there is, who has intention and plans for your life and a mission that may be beyond what you expect, that has called you to obey Him. How willingly do you follow Him? The amazing stuff that happened here in Peter's life was a direct result of Peter's obedience to follow Jesus. Think about if Peter had said, nah, it's all right. I like it here with Simon the Tanner. We're by the sea, man. Sure, the Tanner's house has a little smell, but you can walk away from the house and I can sit on the beach, bro. What do I want to go over here to see a Roman centurion? If God wants him to, you know, come to faith in Jesus, he'll send somebody else. 
That's not what Peter did. Peter obeyed God. Peter was on mission with God, and God did miraculous things. And for you, your greatest challenge may not be a religious barrier or a racial barrier. It may be fear that hinders your faith. God reveals Himself. God speaks. God leads. Now let's move on in our passage of Scripture, verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear Him and do what is right. He's overcoming now and he's making admission of it that not only his religious discrimination but his racial prejudice he's leaping over both of them in a single bound here because of what God has done and because of his obedience to follow God verse 36 you know the message God sent to the people of Israel telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all so now he's going to preach the gospel He's going to talk a little bit about Jesus' beginnings. He's going to talk about Jesus' crucifixion. He's going to talk about Jesus' resurrection. And in just about a minute's time, he's going to smash it all together for them to hear and wait till you see what happens. He says in verse 37, You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, of after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And now when he went around, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Verse 39, we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead and on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Verse 42, he commanded us to preach to people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter left over those boundaries, those barriers, those prejudices, that discrimination, everything that his culture had ever taught him as he saw that Jesus had died not just for some, God's people, the Jews, not just for a few more, those people, the Samaritans, but all people of all races of all times. At verse 43, he summarizes it, he brings it home. That everyone in, who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sin. I wonder if even today there's somebody here that you've never trusted Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord. And you might not say, He can never save me. He doesn't know what I've done. He's God. He's sovereign. He made you. He does know what you've done. And because He knows what you've done, He sent Jesus to die and save you. It's grace, God's grace to save you no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, to welcome you back. You might be here today and you think, oh, I used to walk close to God, but now I've been away and, uh, and you feel guilty. But the Holy Spirit is trying to take away all that false guilt that the devil is laying on you and to say, come back. God loves you. He welcomes you back because you're his child and he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die for you. 
Let's get our fourth point. That fourth point is that God saves all who believe in Jesus. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what's been done, no matter. God saves you if you believe in Jesus. And it raises that question for you. Who do I know that needs salvation? It may be you that need salvation. You that are watching online right now. You that are sitting in the pew right now. That you need to trust Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord. Those of us that have already trusted Him. Maybe it's somebody else. A family member or a friend. That we don't have to go as far as Peter went. We don't have to overcome the barriers Peter overcame. But we do have to overcome our fear. And speak some words of truth to them in love. So God's revealed Himself, God's spoken, God's led, God saves. Let's move on. Our fifth point here, God gives the Spirit to Christ's followers. God gives not just any Spirit to Christ's followers, but God gives the Holy Spirit to Christ's followers. And we go back to verse 44 to read that. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Speaking in tongues again is a sign so that the Jewish believers there would know that all these guys really do have the Holy Spirit like us. So Peter would know, even though he'd overcome these barriers to preach the gospel, and say what he said, he would know for sure. These are not common signs, but these were atypical and used in that time to prove that. Then Peter said, verse 47, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. All that were there apparently had an ascension to faith and belief in Jesus as God's Son, their Savior. They spoke in tongues. Peter saw that and they baptized them to make them believers in Jesus. All of us have the Holy Spirit as well. That God gives us the Holy Spirit to guide us, to speak to us, to convict us, to lead us. Which leads to that final question. How do I experience the Holy Spirit Does God speak to you regularly as you read the Bible, as you pray, as you listen to others? Does God speak to you? God guides you. Does God convict you by the Holy Spirit of sin before you commit the sin or right after you do? You're like, doggone it, I did it again. But the Holy Spirit says to you, God loves you, confess. Let's see what we can do to keep you from doing that again. God speaks by the Holy Spirit. God's revealed Himself. God's spoken to believers. He's led to obedience. He saves all who call on Him. He gives the Holy Spirit as evidence of that. And we've got a few points to consider in as our conclusion. The first one is this. We need to consider the barriers overcome herein. As I said, there were really three barriers here. There was the religious discrimination barrier, the racial prejudice barrier, but even the bigger one, fear versus faith barrier. Would Cornelius believe and invite Peter? Would Peter believe and go to Cornelius? Would all the people gathered at Cornelius' house believe and trust Jesus? You see the evidence that God overcomes barriers. If we only obey, if we only follow, follow, God will overcome barriers. Your 
Second observation there, consideration, is the results of overcoming those barriers. The results. Peter learned something new. He learned that the gospel was for all. Cornelius received faith. All the people in Cornelius' house received faith. Then they all received the Holy Spirit. The amazing results of the obedience of those that overcame the barriers. They didn't let what they knew, they didn't know what the world say, they didn't let what their culture said stand in the way because they saw Jesus was greater. And God blessed them. Your third and final point is to consider the barriers to obedience in your life. What is it in your life that's keeping you from being what God has called you to be? What is it in your life that's keeping you from doing what God has called you to do? Miraculous things happen when you have the faith to overcome those barriers. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, our story to take has taken us on a journey. It's include racial prejudice, religious discrimination, and faith. And it's our prayer that whatever it is we struggle with, any barrier that is in our way of being who you've called us to be, that we'd surrender that right now. If it's a sin, we'd confess it as sin. We'd ask your forgiveness, we'd repent and turn from it. If it's not a sin, but it's just whatever, would we still confess it as a barrier that's keeping us from obedience because disobedience is the sin? And God, for those who have never trusted Jesus, would they make that decision today? Maybe a child or a teenager or an adult here that needs to say, I need to ask Jesus to be my Savior. So God, whatever it is, would we obey today that you might do what only you can do in this place, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.